Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, if you haven't heard, David Jones is becoming a media company or at least launching a retail media network like Woolworths, Coles and Dan Murphy's have already done to great aplomb. But this one might be a little different. David Jones' circa 5 million customers are premium, and the department store will hit the market in coming months to bring in brands that are not David Jones' trade partners to tap its upmarket customer base and audience. But that comes a little later. First is the massive structural overhaul the retailer has been deploying to bundle all its owned assets into a new media offer. For David Jones CMO James Holloman, it's been a two-year hike. The former marketing boss at Selfridges, DFS, which is part of the LVMH Travel Retail Group, where those retail media units were in his remit, has been leading this program at David Jones, but he needed to convince powerful merchandise teams it was a good thing to change up how they strike their trading deals with suppliers and DJ's broader executive leadership, that it was commercially savvy and growth focused. This has historically been the grand challenge, let's call it turf war management, but it seems David Jones has jumped those hurdles. So what does this department store media play look like? Well, on the mics to unpack the latest move into the booming retail media business is James Holloman and Jonathan Hopkins, the founding partner of Sonda, which advises and audits on these sorts of owned and retail media programs. Welcome to you both. Um, James, great to have you on the mics. It's a busy and booming area. What's the opportunity, James, for David Jones in this? I suspect 5 million premium customers might have something to do with it, and welcome. Thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, Well, David Jones is 185 years uh, old this year, making us the oldest retailer in Australia and the oldest department store in the world, still trading under its original name. So we really have earned the right to play in uh, the new wave of of retail media with David Jones Amplify. So yes, definitely the the 5.4 million premium customers that have purchased with us in the last year is the core reason. And our customer base is incredibly attractive to advertisers. Additionally, we have enormous reach when you think about the reach and influence we've got across our physical and digital network with 55 million annual visitors to our physical stores and 110 million visitors to davidjones.com each year. Big numbers there, James. Um, Just in terms of, I think you talked earlier about this number where 70% of your customers you've got, uh, you you know who they are, right? You've got a big loyalty program, a big database with your customers on it. You know who they are, right? Yeah, that's right. We've been on a really great, uh, great journey with with looking at our our customer base. Uh, we've got uh, our loyalty program. We've got our financial services offer, um, and of course, all of our online shoppers. So that makes it an incredibly rich source of of customer um, intelligence. Jonathan, um, let's just get the bigger picture on this, shall we? Um, you're across retailer media and that broader category, I think, of owned media, which I think your analysis says is, is much, much bigger. Just break down at a sort of at industry level, Jonathan, what the numbers are saying on both those fronts for context. And, and welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. To answer your question, the total owned media market, which included the likes of telcos, financial services and travel businesses is worth just under $4 billion in commercial potential. And retail media is a subset of that total, is worth around $2.3 billion. 
So substantial numbers, substantial market. We've seen the supermarkets and the liquor groups have already built their media businesses. So the growth is more likely to come from the retail aggregator sector. So those retailers which sell multiple brands. Obviously, department stores are the epitome of multi-brand sellers, but also you've got electronics, pharmacy, sport, outdoors, you know, all got significant opportunities. You, you talked about, Jonathan, sort of supermarkets and, and liquor being sort of leading the charge here. After that, what categories are gaining momentum? Obviously, we're seeing department stores like David Jones now jump in, but is there movement or action elsewhere that's building? I think the... The banks we've seen recently get involved from a publisher perspective and you know, travel has been around for a long time, but the airlines are, are ramping up what they're doing in this space. But yeah, I think retailers, um, those multi-brand retailers is where there's most, most growth to be had. Um, they've got frequent purchases, multiple customer segments, and a lot of suppliers. So that's where the growth is going to come from. Now, I'm going to ask you this, Jonathan, because I don't think James will tell me, but you have I've seen some analysis that, that, that Sonda has done, I think maybe some months ago, where you put a, val- a potential value on those different sectors. Um, so in, in department stores, what's the number that you've got on in your analysis that says there's the, the potential is? Yeah, so the average for those multi-brand retailers is it's 34 million per business per annum in, in commercial potential. So obviously that that can go a lot higher, that can go a lot lower. That's the nature of an average. But in Australia, that's the, the number. So, James, will you go higher than that or lower than that, do we think? <laughs> Still early doors yet, but uh, we've got ambitious targets. James, before we get into what your new retailer media unit um, Amplify looks like, and we'll do, you know, we talked about it earlier, this must have required some some UN-style diplomacy to get everyone on board. I assume ownership of all your different retail assets was sort of spread across the business prior to, to the to the start or the creation of Amplify, is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. As you mentioned up front, this has really taken two years and, and for, for us, it really started with executive alignment. So our CEO, Scott Fife, and the rest of the ELT team have been incredibly supportive of this project from the beginning and that's been incredibly important to sort of take this whole change journey in saying that of course we came up with the typical change challenges across the launch and the journey with some of the merchandising colleagues and and i think that definitely comes uh, or that that initial resistance definitely comes from their interest to protect their brand partners and and their brand relationships which many of them have spent decades to build so we fully respect that. We've spent plenty of time collaborating with them on advertising principles, processes, ways of working, and that will continually evolve. And actually now we have some you know, fantastic advocates in the merchandising team on our retail media journey. What were the key points uh, or arguments uh, that sort of shifted that resistance, James? Was it the business case? Was it how it was going to be structured? Or what got them over the line in the end? Firstly, it definitely is the business case and the commercial potential, but then I think also how these days media is getting so much more complex and, and retail media is no, no different. There's modern metrics and, and jargon, whether it's cookies and CPM and, and CPCs and CPAs, all of that are specific to a media marketing universe and not necessarily to a buying universe. So mm. I think they, they soon they soon saw that it was the opportunity for the marketing media expert to come in and talk to the brand partner to get the best, to have the best outcome for both parties. 
Yes, I guess it's probably a bit like asking um, a media person to talk SKUs and, and sort of buying ranges for, for merchandise, right? It's the same thing. It's, it's a different language. Um, and so your experience on this, James, elsewhere in your previous gigs, Selfridges and so forth, LBMH, was the, the, the conversation the same in getting these, these retail media uh, operations up? Was it a similar sort of, uh, you've been here before on this? I actually haven't. I think most people who work, you know, retail aside, absolutely know some of the challenges. And I think it's it's all the things we've just mentioned. Uh, I think that we're lucky that retail media has evolved to become a discipline and a discipline that I think businesses are now starting to understand. So, so I think that has been the helpful uh, approach and the different approach with David Jones um, Amplify, where it's a, a full company initiative where we're really trying to behave like a media owner and have that more advanced infrastructure to, to go to market. The Selfridges uh, case, James, that was a good 10 years ago too, wasn't it, when you were when it started? So to your point, it's uh, probably a lot more sophisticated today than when you started out, you know, a decade ago. No, no doubt it is. I mean, those Selfridges windows in London were probably some of the most expensive and highly sought after out-of-home uh, opportunities. So there was sort of an 18-month waiting list for those, but I imagine that they're much more advanced given the uh, the industry. Jonathan, can I just say, you're across a lot of businesses going into this. Um, what are your observations on David Jones' rollout of, of its retail media unit versus what you're seeing elsewhere in market? Um, is it any different? They've done a great job is the, is the short answer. The process that you have to go through of doing a complete audit and valuation of all of your assets, understanding what you're going to make available to partners um, in terms of your different assets, how you're going to um, monetize each channel, how you're going to protect the brand, um, how you're going to make sure that everything's servicing the customers, and then this all-around collaboration with all parties, getting everyone involved. David Jones has done a fantastic job of change management. They had a dedicated internal project team, um, which really helped because it was cross-functional, so it really helped permeate that knowledge and the education as to why the business was doing it, um, and then the best strategies and policies to go about it internally to make it work for every constituent. So it really was a, a kind of you know benchmark of how to do it. So that cross-functional collaboration that you talked about, Jonathan, that doesn't always happen in some of these programs elsewhere. Is that that is all not always a given? That's right. It's, you know, we've worked with businesses where they haven't done that and the media sales department or the, you know, the retail media business hasn't got the traction that, that they would expect as a result. I think it's really important to have that understanding across the business and also to have um, CEO leadership and endorsement. You know, we've seen the likes of Cartology where there's strong leadership from the top um, right at the start. Group CEO Brad Banducci came out very early in their journey with a clear statement that retailers are the new media owners and galvanized all of the silo groups around that understanding. And Scott Fife, to his credit, did a, a similar leadership job at David Jones, really keeping everyone informed and saying that this is, this is something the business is going to do. And in our experience, that's imperative to drive change. 
Yeah, it certainly helps when the boss says do something, doesn't it? Kind of facilitates a little bit more action. Look, Jonathan, James touched on on some points um, that I think um, you argue are amongst the sort of the biggest restraints. This is around sort of the turf wars, some of the biggest restraints for these successful deployments in retail media, getting buy-in, you know, from merchandise and beyond. Now, that's a big, big sort of hurdle for these programs. It sits there. Is that what you see? Correct, yes. Merchandise collaboration is the big one. For years, media has been their bargaining tool um, and they've used it to increase margin or to leverage a deal and setting up a dedicated retail media business disrupts that way of working. You know, there's no way of sugarcoating that. However, once they realize the true value of the media and recognize it's better for the business if there is transparency around its usage, they tend to come around and understand it. You know, ultimately, they're happy to leave the media conversation to media experts rather than having to talk about things that aren't their focus point. So there's different models to achieve this change and wean them off that media drug. Supplier meeting collaboration is the sensible way to go, ensuring that you know their long-standing buyer relationships aren't disrupted and the media experts are able to present solutions to supplier marketing challenges. So working hand in hand in tandem is probably the best way to go there. Yeah, and James, I guess this is where, you know, merchandise, uh, to your point earlier, they I guess they have to change quite considerably how they engage and interact with it in their trade negotiations, their trade partner negotiations, because the way they've gone in historically is very different. Is there much of a change on, from Merch on how they go, how they engage with their suppliers? Yeah, I think there's a considerable change in terms of thinking of David Jones as a media owner and then therefore some of those accountabilities shift. I think it's um, it's important to talk about the, the legacy, legacy approach that some of the, the merchandising team would have used to commercialise some of the assets internally and then also, as Jonathan mentioned, how they would be using some of those as trade deals. So I think there is a difference in that modern retail media approach versus that legacy approach and making sure that we now understand that there is a full funnel media approach with sophisticated audience targeting, respecting the full value or the true value of that that media outlet. So all of those elements do sort of make this a, a much more modern approach as a media uh, owner. And I guess that's very true to when you start talking about full funnel. So, you know, for merchandise to talk full funnel versus marketing to talk full funnel, quite different. Is that literally what this program, what David Jones is going to do? You will have top, mid and bottom of funnel activities for your pending partners. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We've got almost 30,000 annual assets for brands to partake in um, right across the funnel. So from in-store, online, publishing, email, and, and even off-site. You commissioned this audit uh, of your assets. I think Sonda did that. What did it tell you? And did that actually help to convince the business? Is that sort of part of the trigger here for getting this, this program through? Yeah, it's definitely started the journey. So what we did is we actually collaborated first, again, cross-functionally. So visual merchandising, store ops, digital, and the marketing teams, firstly, to collate the full marketing ecosystem and, and media ecosystem. Then we reached out to Sonda to help us to identify you know, new opportunities, but then also help us to formally and independently value the assets that we had, we identified. So as you can imagine, the current and then also the potential commercial opportunity was of great interest. Uh, and then as we moved forward into a business case that helped accelerate the program and, and create the change, the change management program. 
So I guess then on that basis, every asset you've got a valuation, potential valuation or a potential uh, revenue target that you could get to, that's all been broken down like that, is it? Correct. So we've looked at every single uh, media asset. We've looked at what percentage we're willing to uh, commercialize and what percentage we're going to keep um, as our own editorial tone of voice for David Jones. So all of that has been done. And then we've housed that in a in a pretty sophisticated infrastructure for scheduling and booking. So therefore, it's it's all in, in a cloud-based system. So you did talk earlier, but what assets um, will you take to market? Because I think um, you mentioned that, uh, for instance, you're keeping, I think, the homepage of your online site, you're keeping that clear and clean, right? There are bits that are going to be not touched. Is that right? There's some sacred assets that we are making sure that that there's always an editorial view and that's you know, our primary business of a department store is is certainly up up front. And we also want to make sure that everything we do ladders into a premium customer experience. In terms of in-store, it's digital screens, large format posters, windows, in-store radio, online. It is various placements of the of the website, website keeping most elements of the homepage sacred publishing like our biannual Jones magazine and key gift guides like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas. Email is incredibly important because then you can have that sophisticated customer targeting. And uh, and then actually we're starting to look at what offsite could look like leveraging our incredible customer data. I just got to check in with you on this one because I find it fascinating. You talked about um, your magazine. Supposedly they're dead, but what we hear from retailers, at least Coles has got a booming one. Combank just launched a, a magazine itself. The magazine for DJs, it's still popular and, and used, I'm assuming, if you're keeping it going. Absolutely. We have, so we send it to our top customers biannually and we get incredible feedback uh, as we launch our new seasons and, and people see what's what's new in our ranges. Jonathan, just want to ask you around this, the implications or what this audit process does. Um, I'm assuming it helps sort of build the case for a business. Where they don't do this, do they struggle? Yes. Without an independent view on the size of the prize, it's difficult to move forward as an organisation. You know, the worst case is that a marketing department end up getting an external sales platform to auction a few website banners and think they've ticked the box of doing retail media. In reality, the lion's share of value is going to lie in other areas like in-store and email, you know, not just those those couple of banners that are up for auction. So it's really important that you value the media ecosystem in its entirety and then set some you know, usage guidelines around you know, what you're going to use for your own marketing and then engage the entire business on that journey so that everyone understands you're not tattooing the baby. Um, you're actually being quite sensitive to um, the business's needs and the marketing of, the, of, of your own suppliers properly in the first instance. And that's what you know, David Jones did so well. We've seen retailers fail spectacularly by not involving the right people in that conversation and not setting the guidelines and and it falling over so you won't name names but what's the biggest horror story where it's been done not so well uh, what happens yeah i can think of uh, a couple of examples where certain departments within the business have been very gung ho and and wanted to chase after a, a dollar straight away without putting the structural pieces in place and without having the change management 
and the senior leadership involved. So trying to do it by ostracizing the merchandise department, by not involving your um, executive team, uh, a surefire way to um, fail. You know, you might chase a bit of money in the short term, but long term, it's going to fall over. Um, so, yeah, there are a few horror stories out there. But if you follow the simple rules uh, of engagement, then you should be fine. So, James, it's been a long lead up to get to what is Amplify and we're, we're there. So give us a sense. Um, what does Amplify look like? Um, How is it structured? Is it under marketing's remit? I think it is. And is it, is it the same as a Cartology or a Coles 360 or, or something different? Oh, look, it's early days for David Jones so far. So it's important to recognize that that this was a holistic business initiative. Essentially, the retail business model doesn't really enter the market until early 2024. So we're still absolutely in the incubation of Amplify. But in terms of the standalone David Jones Amplify team, it does form part of the marketing team where they've been empowered to behave like media owners. So we've got media sales managers and media planners within that with full autonomy to make retail media deals and and scheduling really clear principles, accountability, responsibility, and a full standalone P&L. So um, we, right. we will treat it like a standalone business and we'll make sure that we're obviously collaborating with merchandising, finance, and, and our people and culture team on shared goals and, and joint planning initiatives. I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of, is it merchandise teams inside Amplify or is it that is it the collaboration you talk about? And Does that mean they will go into conversations with uh, trade partners and suppliers together? And then what happens? I guess they don't, the merchandise teams for your uh, brands that, um, that are coming in that are not customers, that would be up to the Amplify team. But just that, how that interaction works together when they go to market with your, with your suppliers. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a full collaboration with the merchandise team. So we will be going into some of our key our key brand partners uh, together, and then once the marketing uh, and media conversation is has started, then the marketing and and amplify team will be able to take that on and really evolve it to talk about the trade spend, but also their media spend that they would normally be spending ex- externally to a retailer. Mm. There's probably some incremental, uh, now you've got a more sophisticated program, there might be some incremental gains there uh, for the retailer, for your media unit, right? More than what you've perhaps been getting. Well, we hope so because we hope that there is opportunities here to to hyper-target their core customers and therefore there is much less wastage than going out to the total media market. Look, I think it's really interesting. The other thing you're doing is opening up um, your assets to non-David Jones trade suppliers. They call it endemic uh, brands, I think, is is what the, if I sound sophisticated. And you're going off-platform as well for your retail media partners to sort of target David Jones customers beyond your owned assets. What's the opportunity there and, and when does all that happen? How does that look and, and, and when? Yeah, it's really exciting, actually. So I think in terms of um, non-endemic brands, so brands that don't uh, are not stocked in David Jones, uh, we're, we've got some really clear advertising principles. Um, and we've also you know, got some principles on the types of brands that we, we plan to curate through our channels. So premium lifestyle brands across many categories all would sort of complement the premium customer journey uh, across many of our channels. So all of that is um, is in play. Uh, we're actually going to be partnering with Medium Rare Content to help us with some of the ad sales outreach to some of those brands and, and media agencies that maybe we don't historically know. And then in terms of offsite, this is incredibly interesting and, and quite new. Obviously, we're sort of talking about a world where digital cookies no longer exist and 
our first party data will be incredibly valuable for all advertisers to connect with customers without that level of waste. And, and actually, you could argue that this approach is probably even more effective than the current approach of buying against lookalikes and cookies. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think it's still in development, this platform, but what it will be essentially some matching of, of customers and then somehow they are, those customers get met with messages somewhere else in the open web. That's how it kind of works, right? Yeah, that's right. So you'd be able to leverage core audiences through our platform and and then be able to buy through that across the open web, whether it be programmatic or across core social, YouTube, et cetera. And premium customers is, is probably the point of difference here. You've got a fairly upscale base of customers going. How do you define premium, James? So DJs clearly just, you have to look at it and go, okay, I get it, it's premium. But how do you define a premium customer versus a broader mass segment? I think the beauty that we've got at the moment is that we can actually see who actually is a core customer to a core brand or a category versus just claim behaviors. So that's that's what's really important from a, a targeting audience perspective. I think most of the goods that we sell uh, in David Jones would be considered premium for their category when you when you look at the total category. Uh, so therefore we can see their full shopping behavior over the years um, and and see what they're cross-shopping and and really understand if they are a premium slash luxury customer. Jonathan, this off-platform play that uh, that James is is working on, how common is that now for sort of retailer media uh, operations and um, how material is the revenue opportunity uh, on that front? Yeah, it's becoming more and more commonplace. Yeah, it's about ensuring you deliver a seamless journey for customers across owned and paid channels and deliver that triple win of providing relevant communication to customers wherever they are, because they're not distinguishing between owned and paid, helping suppliers target your customers more efficiently, and then growing share of wallet for your business in the process. So when it achieves that triple win, you're doing really well. James, just interested, you know, you talked about becoming a media owner. How different in mindset is that to being a retailer? Because historically, media has been very separate. Is there a part of the business now that's got to think very differently to being, you know, a pure retail operation? What is that? I think we're all aware that our primary business is to be a department store. So that's that's really important for the whole holistic company to understand. But I think the mindset has to change when you think about being a media owner and, and seeing different brands, different categories, different non-endemic brands uh, across uh, our ecosystem. And I think that's part of the change journey that we've been on. And we've educated uh, some of our core stakeholders that that's what you would see across all of our different channels. You know, on being involved with David Jones on this journey, that was one of the big shifts, right? Because you're going from a marketing team that is talking to suppliers about their marketing and would you like to be involved in that to actually having a more empathetic conversation with suppliers and saying, what do you want to achieve in the coming months or years? You know, which, how many product launches do you have? Uh, when do you want to run your sales or your offers? What seasonal spikes do you have with your products? And then a media owner has a different view on that. They say, well, how can we shape a solution or a package that delivers on, on those suppliers' needs? Um, and who you want to talk to. 
yeah so it's a different it's a different lens and i think that's um one of the softer change management pieces that needs to be considered i do want to um uh, well i've got you maybe get a top line take on what's happening with consumer spending it's it's got us all um thinking about what is happening the premium profile, I guess, of, of your customers, does it mean that they're a little less affected by by the current economics? I think you've seen things like swimmers and luggage sales spikes uh, in mid-year. Is that something to do with uh, Australians bolting to Europe? I'm not sure. But what's your sense on what's happening with, with the market now and certainly with premium customers, uh, how your premium customers are behaving versus the broader market, James? Got a sense on that? Yeah, we're definitely seeing uh, our premium customers still being rather resilient. We're seeing across the winter months uh, travel summer categories like like swim are uh, really performing or outperforming what they've ever done before. So that's really indicating that our customers are probably contemplating a trip to a warmer climate, whether that's Queensland or somewhere in the in the northern hemisphere. We're here working, just for the record. We are working, launching a media business. Um, but uh, but definitely we are seeing a, a cost of living crisis and that being a, a real challenge for some of our customer segments and we can see those customer segments that are really feeling it. How do you break that down? Can you break it down a little bit in which parts are, are feeling it a bit more than others? Uh, I think that uh, what we're seeing is mostly families. So there's definitely family cohorts, both with younger and um, more teenage children um, that are feeling that. So we're seeing that in some of our segments. We're seeing the sort of more affluent under 45s being less affected. Um, so obviously they are the professional cohorts with with potentially not the same level of, of mortgage or inflationary uh, pressures. And what about sort of the no kids at home? Because that'll be a fair whack of a customer segment for David Jones. Would it be those without kids? Um, They're probably really okay. We are seeing the more affluent segments without kids, both uh, across all the age groups, sort of holding, holding okay. Okay, so they're not up, but they're holding. Is that what you're saying? Right, yeah. okay. And what about um, this broader conversation too that we've seen obviously through the pandemic where everyone raced to online? Most retailers now are talking about how their online e-com operations have come back a bit and there's this big surge back into retail, into physical stores. Are you seeing that and what's your observations around that online, offline, physical store uh, balance? Yeah, we're we're definitely seeing that, and we're really we're really happy uh, that they're coming back into store, particularly our flagship stores in Sydney and Melbourne, which were both renovated uh, either just prior or just after the pandemic. So we're so glad that they're coming back, uh, you know, buoyantly into shopping, especially to enjoy services like styling, beauty treatments, and then experiencing the incredible new ranges in 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 our categories. So we're now seeing online stabilize after that that sort of mix over the past 18 months and uh, and we are now seeing a lot of our top customers becoming much more omni. Is it a blip this sort of swing back to physical retail at the moment James or is it is it a revert to what happened before? Do you think this is just a us getting out because we've been locked up? Well that's been a while since we've been locked up I think. I think the beauty of a department store is is that you need to experience as much of it physically as as possible, and then of course you can use uh, online to explore that specific shopper mission. So I think that experiential retail is exactly the future, and I think as long as we can make sure that that customer service and experiences uh, and services is exactly what customers are looking for, then I think we'll be in a good place. 
So is DJ's back at its pre-COVID levels for its physical stores, James, in terms of uh, leased traffic, foot traffic, and I'm not sure about sales volumes? We were. We were absolutely. I think we've seen over the past sort of four months, a little bit of foot traffic sort of soften. I think that's related to the external headwinds, but absolutely we, we bounced back and had a really fantastic year last year. Thank you both for this conversation. I look forward to seeing probably mid next year we'll have a good sense on on how it's all going. Right, it'll be really amplifiable. Be full throttle from the start of twenty four. Does that sound right? That's correct. So six months next mid next year, James. Let's have a catch up and see how it's gone. It's a, a new and interesting play. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much. This MI three audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.